0: Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. It is Thursday, November 12th. And we are here just clicking along, you know, life goes on here in Jill on Moneyland. Mark and I are working hard to answer your questions. So, let's start with an easy one. A few weeks ago, I wrote an article about the gross domestic product, and you know, actually I've been talking about this a little bit on the air. Because uh, every time we report numbers, there's lots of different numbers used. And so someone wanted to know, what's the difference between when you say GDP dropped or expanded by a quarterly versus an annualized pace? Okay. The United States is very strange in the way that we report this information, it's an effort to try to be able to compare quarter to quarter movements across long time horizons. But essentially, when you hear the first, the top line, okay, and you say, oh, I heard that the economy was up by 30% annualized pace. It's not really up by 30%. It's essentially from the previous quarter, it's up by 7.4%. But the extrapolation is if you were to push that same quarterly growth for four quarters a year, the bigger number would be the annualized pace. So that's really the difference. You know, I noticed the New York Times is starting to report it as their headline is the quarterly number, but I just kind of like to do whatever the government does. It seems to me that that's a safer way to uh, approach it. It's the same reason, by the way, someone sent me a nasty gram after the jobs report and said that I should be referring to the a population as Latinx, okay, but like I'm using whatever the Bureau of Labor Statistics is labeling as unemployment rate for a sub group. So they'll say black unemployment, Hispanic unemployment. It's not that I don't want to use Latinx. I'm just using what the government uses as their label. So as long as they use it, I got to use it, right? Isn't that right, Mark? Is that the right way to approach it? Oh, Mark says 100%. I love when he agrees with me. Okay. (laughs) So let's get on to uh, a thornier question from Indy, who writes, two years ago, my broker invested my money in an annuity and the insurance company was Colorado Bankers Life Insurance. The company is currently in rehabilitation. That sounds like bankruptcy, but I'm not exactly sure. Indy says, I contacted CB Life, and I've been getting the runaround from the company. To make matters worse, my broker has bailed on me. Can you please help or advise me on what steps I should take? Any help or advice would be appreciated. Okay. I happened to just pull up the Better Business Bureau, and I typed in Colorado Banker's Life Insurance Company. You can file a complaint there. There's a whole bunch there already. So, before you, there's many people before you who are having problems, Okay. I also went to look at the company's website, cblife.com, and I went to the rehabilitation details. Now, here, to me, is a bit of a problem, which is they really have not updated this very frequently. They have their frequently asked questions. The last update was February 21st. Now, they also have something in here about eligibility for a hardship package that is obviously related to COVID, but that's it. This is all done in the state of North Carolina. In general, what I would t- try to do is this. The broker who sold this to you is affiliated with some larger organization. I don't know if that broker was from CB Life or from, you know, some other big wirehouse, like I don't know if that's Merrill Lynch or what have you. I would get in touch with whomever is the branch officer or the regional manager of the place where that previous broker worked. And so I would do a dual track. I would put a complaint in with at the Better Business Bureau, but also I would put a complaint in with your state insurance regulator and also try to pursue the brokerage firm where the broker was sort of hanging his or her hat before leaving you high and dry. That's what I would do. I think people forget that sometimes these annuities that everyone is selling out there because very few people buy them, it's predicated on the financial health of the insurance company. And since you're probably not doing a ton of research on, you know, gee, I wonder if I should look at the balance sheet of Colorado life insurance company. It is really incumbent to ask lots of questions, but you know, it does make another piece of the puzzle against these products because the extra layer of risk is that the company could go broke. And, you know, always brokers will say to you, oh, no, no, they're not going broke. They're fine. But, mm, you know, as we're finding out, they do. All right. Here is a note from Joey, who says, I'm 49 and my wife is 46. (laughs) This is so funny. He writes, I'm going to warn you, this is going to be long-winded, but I'm going to keep my questions as brief as possible. They own a house and it's a 30 year mortgage at 3.375%. They just started, they must have refied in August. Okay. They pay an additional $500 a month towards principal. They owe $190,000. The value is $270,000. They've got $2,500 in credit card debt, but it's going to be paid off this month. Okay. All right. Okay. Both cars are paid for $50,000 in savings, Thirty grand in a CD and another $10,000 cash in a lockbox in the bank. That's always a bad idea, by the way. Do not keep cash in a a safe deposit box. You know, if anything, keep it in a safe in your house. I have fireproof on it, that. Wife nets 60 grand a year after taxes. Okay, she pays for the health insurance for both of them. She puts 15% pre-tax to her 401k, and she's got 146,000 in there. I am currently unemployed due to COVID-19. Joey gets unemployment, 245 bucks a week after taxes. And he says, I've been working cash jobs to supplement income since then, but that will end once winter sets in. Okay. I have about $7,500 in a Roth IRA. He says, I know it's late in the game for me, but I figure now it's better than never, right? You're right. My questions. I believe that I read if your spouse has lost a job during the pandemic, you can take a certain amount of money from your 401k without penalty and somehow convert that into a Roth, of course, after paying taxes on it. Is this true? What are the parameters and how does that work? Uh, Okay, first of all, you can take money out of your 401k, okay? And it's not to be converted into a Roth. I mean, I guess you could, but you are able to pull money through the CARES Act from a retirement account and not have to pay the 10% early distribution penalty. The tax is due and then is spread evenly over three years. So you can do that. I don't know if you should do this. I mean, do you need the money to live on? I wouldn't take all the money out. You don't want to bump yourself up into a new tax bracket. If you want to take a certain amount of money out and, you know, remain, your wife said, I guess, married filing jointly, you would have, um, I guess, up to 80 grand or so and keeps you in the 12% tax bracket. You could take money out. I wouldn't take more than that out because then you pop into the 22% tax bracket. And if you really need it, then I guess it's okay. But I don't know if you should do this. He says the market scares him to death. Well, but you're young, so I, I don't know. This seems like a real. I don't know what exactly is the question here. It seems like you're trying to do a lot of shenanigans. Here's what I would do. Number one, stop paying the extra five hundred dollars towards your principal. Stop doing that. Take that five hundred dollars and add that to your emergency reserve fund. Okay, because you have fifty thousand dollars in savings. Do me a favor. Beef up those savings because I don't know if you guys are going to be able to manage this if, you know, your unemployment goes away. All right. That's number one. Number two, I do not actually think that you should take money from your retirement account if you don't need it. Yeah. I just we're not sure that you can actually do the Roth conversion. We know you can take the money out without penalty. You can take, so you can take up to a hundred grand out without penalty all right, and spread the tax liability across, okay, across three years. I don't know if you should do that. I really don't. I guess that you could sort of, you know how you could do it, Mark? You could jerry-rig it. You could take money out, you can spread the tax liability across a few years, and then he can put more money into his own Roth. It's a lot of steps to do. Like, I, I just don't think that's a great idea. Okay, this message is from Bob, who writes, After years of dreaming of owning a house, I've become convinced that it's probably a bad idea. Okay, let me hear more. For background and as an aside, I have built several houses from foundation to paint with my father, who's a builder in Alaska. So I know firsthand the constant repairs and maintenance that houses require. It's like they're alive and they breathe and they degrade and they crumble as the earth tries to take them back. (laughs) It's so true. And you have to be there to protect them from a brutal nature that tries to eat them every day. This is a beautiful, beautifully written note, so kudos, thank you. Generally, my feeling is that assets require continuous investment to upkeep in one way or another. And houses like cars or boats, they're some of the worst offenders. I have a sister who's taking out a sizable business loan to flip mobile homes and her husband's getting into day trading as a hobby. I'm so nervous about their financial future. I would be nervous for them too. Let's hear about you. Okay, Bob says, my situation is I'm 30 and I have no plans for children. I make six figures with a savings rate of fifty-five zero percent I've got a year's worth of expenses in an emergency reserve fund, $10,000 in student debt, which I'm not in a rush to pay off. I don't have any retirement or investment accounts. Where's that money going? One of my brothers recently built a tiny home. He's looking to park somewhere. So there's a long thing. And he says, I can borrow a lot of a down payment without interest from another family member. The question is, even with no cash up front, an on-site maintenance property manager and double rental income is acquiring a rental property still... bad idea. I know this whole complicated concoction depends on a lot of trust upon my brothers. And I'm putting the question aside for now, but rest assured it will be examined. This is another one of these. It's like, there's a lot of steps that you got to take. Yeah. Could you do it? Sure. But I'll tell you what I'd rather you do. Forget about this rental income. You've got a 50% savings rate. Then why are you not investing in something? Where is that money? If you're saving all this money, and you've got your years of expenses. Number one, with a 50% savings rate, then what you should do is pay off that student loan. I would be in a rush to pay that off. And I don't know why you don't have any retirement or investment accounts. Mark, what am I to do to help Mr. Alaska feel like he should try? What's the, what's my hook into Bob to get him to, if he's convinced that Owning a home, even forgetting about this rental property is a bad idea. How do I get him interested in long-term investing and retirement? Yeah, Mark doesn't think I'm going to, so I'll tell you what I'm going to say. I think that the rental thing is probably not a great idea. That said, I do think would be a great idea would be for that 50% savings rate to be applied towards a retirement and or a investment account. I would love to see you get your money working for you. So that's what I'm going to tell you. That's my best piece of advice for you today. Avoid the rental property. Consider long-term retirement planning. Okay? I hope that helps. All right gang, if you have a financial question, as always, send us an email, ask Jill at jillonmoney.com. Go to our website jillonmoney.com and you can find all sorts of fun things there. And if you'd like, what you could also do is maybe just pass along this podcast to somebody else who you think could use the the tips and have a little guidance and you know, just sort of make their financial lives a little better. So you can just send them to the Jill on Money website or tell them to subscribe. And you can subscribe anywhere you got this podcast. Maybe that was Apple or maybe it was Spotify, wherever. Pass it along. Help us grow the audience. We'd love that. Thank you again for listening. And as always, wash your hands, wear your masks, maintain your physical distancing, and try to do something nice for someone else today. We'll talk to you tomorrow.